How much fun are you having right now, Connor? I'll tell you what, you, you've had some really nice moments out of, late, out of that bullpen for the Orioles. I'm having a blast. I'm taking every opportunity I can and uh, just taking it with a grain of salt and enjoying every moment and just trying to keep my team in a good position to win here. You know, we need those wins and we're, uh, we want to ruin some seasons. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Show and Go podcast by Post Game Spread. My name is Matt Provo, and I'll be hosting this podcast with plenty of great interviews. And hopefully, whether you've been interested in baseball your entire life or whether you've never watched a minute of sports, I think that these interviews and these conversations can be something that will be definitely of interest to you. Baseball is a funny way of, of weeding out the bad guys in the game. And that's a quote from Dan Evans, a former Dodgers general manager. He was telling me how no matter what, you know, if you're going to be anything in baseball or just in life in general, it's just to be a good person. And I think that these people that I'm about to interview exemplify that, you know, more, more than anybody, right? Um, especially with baseball, it just is a funny way of making you, keeping you humble, right? Um, and my first guest is, is a great example of a guy who really took to everybody and embraced his surroundings, you know, no matter where he was in the, in the minor leagues, right? So whether he was struggling or doing at the top of his game, you know, in New Hampshire, or whether it was in Omaha, or wherever it might have been, um, he was a guy that that really took to his teammates and took to um, the people around him. So I think that's what made Connor Green uh, a no-doubter for the first interview. So thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. This is going to be the start of something really cool. As I said, whether you're interested in baseball or have never watched a minute of sports in your life, this is something that uh, I'm very excited for everybody to be able to listen to. So without further ado, here is Connor Green. Today I'm with an actor, model, surfer, entrepreneur, and baseball player. But I'm only joined by one man today who just happens to do them all. His name is Connor Green, and he's joining me today. Connor, how are you doing? What an introduction. Three truths and a lie to begin it off. Uh, uh, great to see you, Matt. It's been a long time, bro. You've grown up so much, man. I know. It's been be crazy because I first met you when I was 16 years old, which is crazy because I'm turning 25 this year. Yeah, wow. Time flies, man. 10 years. And I remember, and you've had some really cool things along that way and that we probably were going to touch upon anyway, but it's, uh, it's really cool to see you now at 25 blossoming into this beast of a man hey like likewise connor i appreciate you too kind so in the intro i mentioned a few things right you know obviously we're going to get to the the baseball player part of things but there's one that a lot of people ask and i'm sure you get asked all the time charlie sheen acting two and a half men what how did that happen get into that a little bit and and then we'll we'll get into baseball but i think it's important the people hear about that too yeah, I think growing up in Santa Monica, California is why that happened. I grew up in an area uh, surrounded by that uh, essence of type of people. Um, I can ha I have to give all the credit to Tony Todd, uh, a Santa Monica OG legend. He is the the sole reason why I got to meet Charlie and actually got to be friends with Charlie. Um, and it all started with a promise to get drafted. I basically said, he told me if you get drafted, I'll bring you up to Charlie's house and, uh, you know, seventh round call, hundred thousand dollar offer. Couple, couple hours later, I was up at Charlie's house. I love it. So he kept his promise there. Yeah. He kept his promise there. And, uh, 
yeah, and Charlie was ecstatic to meet a ball player because he loves baseball. Um, and any ball player he'd meet, he'd be pumped on getting to know you and uh, and playing some catch with you. His his shit is wild. I so love side, that. Like oh, really? 85 on the side, real close. Did he play <laughs> in high school? Because obviously he had to train for his acting, right? This was part of his gig. Did he yeah. play anything in high school or college leading up to that? You know, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm sure he played in high school because he's good. He's got a good right. swing, got a good uh, arm. So I, I, I'm I'm sure he played in high school. I know he got in trouble at Santa Monica High School a little bit, though. So I don't know if he was, you know, allowed to play, but he was totally, he practiced. So it's just good. It didn't matter anyway, because he became one of the more famous non-pro ball, actual baseball players. Yeah. Ever seen. So, so him and Kevin Cosner must be the two most, you know, well-known non-baseball player, baseball player, actor. Exactly. So at the end of the day, it didn't even matter. So I'm sure he didn't know he was getting to someone who threw as hard as you did. Was did, Were you throwing that hard in high school? No, I was throwing 88 in high school. Really? And so for context, yeah. everybody, Connor hit 103, 104. Can we get confirmation? Which one was it? It was 103. And I think you were at the game, actually. I was, because you told me it wasn't a velo day. And then you get out there pumping. <laughs> <laughs> you get out there and... Before you know it, the the radar gun back in back at the Fisher Cats, which we'll get into later, did not couldn't read triple digits. It, that and no, but you could see it. O one or O two or a o right. So you knew that you weren't throwing two miles an hour. You knew it was a hundred two, which was amazing. So yeah, I guess transitioning into baseball, seventh round pick out of high school. Being a high school pick, you've been in, you were in pro ball. You've been in pro ball for is this your eleventh season? It's eleventh season. Cool. Awesome. What was that like being a high school pick and going from being in, at Santa Monica High School, being, you know, one of the best, best arms in the country in California, right? Right. And then being thrown into, you know, a lot of other good arms. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was awesome. I think that, and I'll touch upon mindset basically in every question probably. Yeah. But I think that it, it was all about, um, at that time, especially at 18, the lack of stress, lack of knowledge, being really naive, not knowing anything. Ignorance was a very big tool into my success because there was no fear of success, no fear of failure, no fear of anything moving forward. Or And even if there was a little, I was powering through it like a mental guru, I guess, at the time. But really, it was just a lot of excitement, a new experience, and uh it's something that you get to only do once and like have that, those new, new experiences like that. And it was incredible. I, I met a lot of really good players, some that guide you in the wrong direction, some that guide you in the right direction. And so it's a huge learning curve for an 18 year old kid to be in pro ball, but uh, it was a good organization, the blue Jays. And uh, it, I got to go up pretty quick because I was soaking up some knowledge and not taking everything that everyone was saying to me as truth, right? As as gospel, I wouldn't, I wouldn't always listen to what my coaches told me, you know, because they see somebody who is your frame, who is throwing as hard as you were, and they still think that there are things for them selfishly. right? Potentially selfishly, potentially just out of the goodness of their heart, but not everything everyone says to you is correct. Uh, a lot of things are great, and I'm not saying don't be coachable to the young guys that might be listening to this, but it, it is a uh, 
there is a reason you were picked and there is a reason you were liked. And if you can stay true to that as much as you can through on throughout that journey, I think you'll have less of a bumpy road to the top. Not saying you wouldn't still make it. With that too. So you get picked and what was it like? You go to Charlie Sheen's house, you meet Charlie Sheen and then boom. How long was that before you had to report? To, to, to so I got, I got, uh, we were having, there was like a shooter near the school, not on school or nothing, but there was like a, someone had like shot a gun like someone near this campus and so we were all in lockdown and i got picked and i just left i was like i'm no. not gonna be i'm not gonna be locked in this uh basketball court big yeah. ass room and uh i just left i walked home i lived like four blocks away so i went home and then told all my friends my dad and everything and we had graduation that night and they were gonna postpone it but so anyway i got to wear my cap and gown cap with my gown because they're the same color um, and then I got to go to Charlie Sheen's house that next day, uh, which was really cool. Meeting a great, crazy cool actor. Got to see a lot of his cool memorabilia. He is, he, at the time he had some of the craziest baseball memorabilia you can imagine. Uh, Babe Ruth's original contract with the Yankees. Um, some signed balls by him, like things like the original shark fin from Jaws, like some just random, really cool stuff. Um, and then the next day I was on a flight to Clearwater beach, Florida and, right right into it it took one day i signed and the next like two days later i was in a blue jays uni on the backfield doing my first you know long ass stretch routine because they stretch you stretch for so long for no reason in baseball i can talk to probably 200 guys on here and i don't think anybody would have left an active shooter because they got drafted <laughs> gone to charlie sheen's house worn their baseball cap with their gown and then flown right to First right of to all, I mean, if there's a shooter anywhere around, I mean, why the hell be locked in that room? You know, might as well get that <laughs> off that campus and get out of there. So I did. You know, I <laughs> good. I mean, you were, I don't know what the Blue Jays would have thought if you were, have gotten hurt, you know, but you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that it all ended up right. well. And, um, yeah. and I've seen you, you know, the past two years, you have been playing in Mexico, which I've seen you on the Instagram page speaking Spanish over there. I've seen you as yeah. a fan favorite. Where did this come from? How did the decision to head over to Mexico go? Yeah. So, I mean, the Mexican league gets a bad rep and I think that, you know, a lot of people know from Eastbound and down. And I was telling a lot of guys down there, they should make a Netflix series. Cause after, after the driving one with formula one, a ton of people are formula one fans after the PGA tour, a lot of more people are following the PGA tour one. So if they had a Mexican league one, there's a lot of drama. There's it's a legit. lot of, there's a lot of, teams pushing for a championship and a lot of big moves going on down there and good players that have played in the major league. So I think there would be something there if they were to do that, but um, it's a good league and it was a good time. I'm actually Mexican heritage. So I, I was really glad to have a cultural experience. That's uh, something that my grandparents somewhere they're from that I never got to even meet them or speak the language that they spoke. So for me, it was really, coming back to my roots, it was really amazing. Um, and I would recommend if anyone has the chance to play down there towards the end of their career, towards the, to start their career off, you can still make it to the major leagues from Mexico. You can go to begin with Julio and Luis uh, Arias with the with Baltimore for some time. And uh, or, no, it's not Julio. It's um, yep. yeah, I just know Ramon. I don't uh, I don't know his brother's name. But Ramon started with the Diablo Rojos and it ended up going to the bigs, you know, so 
it's whether you start there or end there, I think it's uh it's, it's worth doing. It's a great opportunity. So, and there's good money. Pay good money. As far as the little intricacies of baseball that you see in a clubhouse that you see you saw in double a triple a the show right is there anything different you know than the normal routine that you had in the states versus mexico yeah yeah the different routines are definitely different i mean the uh major league routine is world class i think i took my routine to mexico and i think a lot of guys do that but uh the routine's absolutely different really so dudes have like a two liter of coke like in their locker, you know, we're like, you know, I mean, Coca-Cola is just not as famous out here in America. It is, but it fools aren't drinking it like it's Gatorade, you know, it's their thing. It's, it's their thing. Right. And Absolutely. they have, they have the natural sugar down there too, with the, with their There's no high fructose corn syrup in there. So no, right. we get sugar, the sugar, sugar. I love that. It tastes, tastes a lot better too. Um, so would you <laughs> compare that the level of competition to something close to what you played in in AAA? Is that something you would say? No, I wouldn't be able to compare it because when it's, it's still a high level and the difference between a major league player and a minor league player is like so incremental and it's so about consistency and everyone hears this all the time. That's in baseball. If you're not in baseball, they're this close. They're not big, that big of a difference, but um, it's just consistency, routine, mental prep, physicality, so I think the major leagues, a lot of guys are stronger because they're on a better regimented eating and lifting program. Um, but I think some of the approaches in the major leagues are pretty easy to pitch against. Where in Mexico, some guy doesn't have a, a necessarily a major league approach, and he's swinging at stuff that you wouldn't really get in the U.S. and like getting hits off of it and stuff. So uh, I think there's, it's a different league. I think that AAA and Double A have such good, talented prospects in the league that it's hard to say. Uh, but, um, I couldn't compare the two cause they are different. Right. And do you say when, when it comes to, you know, hitting more balls outside the zone, things like that, you see a lot more athleticism on display it, well, in, in Mexico. I think a lot of guys hit balls out of the zone efficiently. Yep. I, a lot of guys in the U S like, I think someone in the U S was strikeout looking where someone in Mexico will break the shit out of their bat, but hit like a single barely in the, in the hole, uh, you know, like, like they'll swing at a ball two inches off and shatter their bat, but it's like a weak hit where like uh, a guy in the U S it's not like part of their approach. It's not part of where they were going to, we're looking for that specific pitch or a pitch in general. And they'll just take it and walk out of there with a strike three. And so, instead of like <laughs> obliterating their knuckles and like still like getting a knock from it. It's become part of the culture to strike out, I think, in, in the MLB. And in, a, in a sense, it depends what your job is. But, yeah, it, yeah, it's okay to strike out if you have a lot of walks and hit a certain amount of homers and doubles, you know. Are there any teammates that yeah. you have, you know, had in the past two years that completely blew your mind on why isn't this guy in the show? Or is it usually – this guy in the show, yeah, there's a lot of Mexican players. Uh, Julian Arnelas, I'll shout him out right now, and Jesus Favela. Those are two Mexican guys, born and raised in Tijuana, grinders. His actual, Arnelas, his older brother, is actually with the Padres and like double A. But a lot of these guys don't get a great opportunity to even get over to the States, even though they're of caliber. You know, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's part of the, um, the, the, what's what's the word I'm looking for? The stigma with Mexican baseball potentially, 
But no, nah, these guys are world class players, and uh, yeah, they're they're damn good. I've played with guys that are ex big leaguers, David Huff and uh, uh, Stephen Romero. <laughs> yeah, you look at the roster, and, and they'll show guys who've played in the show in bold. So obviously, yeah. you're in bold. Yeah. And I felt like I was looking at all these rosters, and I'm like, they're a good chunk of all these teams that have had guys who've either played in the show or a lot of them, you know, they have a good chance at making it. A lot of them have a good chance at being good enough to make it. It's, it's, right. unless you're, you're signed by a team, you know, you're not, you're not in a full route to the top, but again, and I'll touch upon this. I'm going to say this later. Your circumstances cannot dictate where your mental state of mind is and how you feel about yourself. So like you can be in a shit circumstance but still have this self-belief in this self uh, hunger to get out of that or not even just not even think you're in a bad circumstance. It's a perspective thing. And uh, yeah, so anyone can get out get there from from Mexico as well. Was there a time in your career where you really had a mindset switch? Obviously, this is something you've had. I feel like pro ball throws a wrench in a lot of people's plans, right? Best like plan until until things, you know, until you're on a 12 hour bus ride and in the middle of Oklahoma, right? right. Which I know right. in the Texas league, you were in the Texas league, correct? I've done ever. I've been in the, I've been in every league except for the Southern league. I've been in both double A leagues. Uh, yeah. Eastern league. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there a time when you were maybe on a bus ride or in a clubhouse and the showers aren't working and the carpets are stained right. and you're just like, I, how am I going to, how am I going to get there? How am I going to do it? Luckily, I didn't come from like an SEC school or like, not luckily, but like, I didn't come from like some luxury program that had already been me treated where I had already been treated like a king in my sport. So I came from where the backfields were the nicest fields I'd ever seen at a complex. I'd never seen grass, even with the dirt or like the dirt being flat on a baseball field, you know, because my high school fields wasn't really good. Yeah. It throws a wrench in from performance you may not do well off the field stuff people deal with family stuff that's like absolutely gnarly even just your own in internal battle with confidence fear of failure fear of even being successful um trying to prove stuff for other people or even trying to prove something to yourself or whatever your internal struggle is moving forward with this sport it's it's all there and you're dealing with every single bit of it and your friends start getting when you start getting 24 out of college and your friends are getting married and stuff and you're a groom supposed to be a groomsman but you got to pitch or play um you know for 162 straight it's you're making sacrifices that other people don't make you're like you said on the bus for 14 hours and you sleep like ass and you have a day game for some reason the next day because they scheduled it so terrible like even worse on kids day or like a kids day day game yeah like that's 105 <laughs> That's so crazy. And you go and you play shitty because uh, that day, you know, um, but it's uh, and everyone has that wrench thrown in their freaking plans. But it's it's the guys that are gritty, the guys that want it more than the other guy. What is your why? You really ask yourself in those moments, hour seven of my 14 hour bus ride, where for some reason they still aren't st they're still playing music in the back of it. And it's like 3 a.m. You're asking yourself, why am I still, why am I doing it? What are my reasons? And uh, they outweigh the, all the bad shit we just listed. You know, they absolutely do. So. I love that because I've seen you have some great times as well. And if I, we're going to rewind to New Hampshire, which 
is easy for me to talk about because I was there for it, right? Right. You know, there are some things which we can touch on, such as I remember you skateboarding to to work. Um, yep. Probably frowned upon, but you know, I'm better than most at that. At that, so I figured I could do it. Exactly. Emceeing the home run derby. Um, my taking oh. the microphone was unbelievable. Um, and just all the other shenanigans that would happen in the club I was doing that time. Is there one moment in New Hampshire that sticks out to you the most? Emceeing the home run as uh, McBroom was in the home run derby. And that's the thing. Like it, once you start building a, I was really confident in my abilities on the field. And so it allowed me to be myself off the field. Yeah. And so I think it was a nice thing that I could um, completely be myself in a clubhouse for the better or for the worse. Cause you know, sometimes it, you don't need everyone knowing all of your business all the time as well, especially when you have bosses and stuff that are somewhat judging you on your, uh, character and everything and not saying i have bad character i'm a great makeup guy you know what i mean oh, but 80, 80 makeup. yeah so and that's what's important is being a good teammate but my confidence on the field allowed me to have a ton of fun especially in double a we had a good ass team i mean we had rick broom gunner height was one of my best buds at the time he was sharing time with lord as guriel as a, when he was a shortstop when they discovered he should be an outfielder about that year yep then uh, Vladdy was, uh, I think just coming up or maybe yeah, he was in Dunedin coming up. Yep. And, um, Leb Levision. no one, you can't forget about this guy, Jason Leb Levision. He's over here hitting three thirty to for an entire season. Half these, like half the four years we were there, we were all there for so long. That's what it was also crazy. We're all this talented ass kids and double away for four seasons, you know? So, but no, I, I can't, I can't think of one thing, but it, it was an amazing time. Uh, well, okay, one thing. I th I consecutively threw 100 miles an hour for 15 starts in a row. That was like the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Was there something you did to unlock that 100 miles an hour, or was it just you going with the flow and trusting who you were? I Definitely trusting who exactly through and through that what I'm doing is going to pay off. And when they sit you down initially in, that, in the room, right when you get drafted, I should have mentioned this earlier when I was 18, that there's like 600 of you or like whatever the amount of the entire minor leagues is. And then they start talking about how the percentage is a little bit like, you know, some of you guys might not make it. And if you look around, it's really not going to be a lot of you, but which one of you is going to do it. And I always thought they were talking to me. I was arrogant enough to think that he's talking directly at me. Like you're going to be the one that's going to make it kid. Like, like it's a ridiculous thing to think, but you, I swear the guys that do, they have that internal belief that like, I, I am the one out of this 11 people that are to the left of me that I'm, is going to make it and the 11 to the right. So like, um, to answer that I had known, I knew I was going to do it. And so like, when I started throwing cheese like that, I just was trying to go seven, seven strikeouts, seven shutty, but I, every game I would throw 88 to 99, you know, I would throw a fastball like 89 always just for fun. But I, I would have a 99. I would also throw a 99, you know? So I wasn't always throwing super cheese, but I would do it a couple of times in a game to just to show like, right. It's there. You were able also to have a little fun too, even before the game, like in a good way, in a way to keep you loose, in a way to keep it, you loose. Because I think the fans took to that. I think I took to it. I think the other people working the clubhouse took to it where you weren't just going to be somebody who, was going to blow them off just because they're starting that day. You know, you yeah. were intense, but you were the amount of intense where 
you weren't going to be uh, change who you were. Right. Yeah. My, my intensity really begins only about an hour before the game. So until that is really, it is, I can be, uh, whatever. And I know a lot of guys are like that. Joe Ryan with the twins, very chill can absolutely do that, um, approach. I know guy, you know, Max Scherzer, I got the pleasure of seeing him do his work, uh, for my short stint with the Dodgers and he actually threw a shutty. Um, he is uh, on his day of pitching is a little more intense than everybody else. You know, he's freaking locked in and he's about his business. I admire that as well though, because it's, it's very respectable. You're not going to sit here and talk shit about that because at the end of the day, he is as good as you can freaking get at this. And, and that's probably one of the big reasons why. So whatever you need to do to be ready, Kobe said sometimes, you know, someone asked Kobe like what music you listen to. And he, it was, if he's too laid back, he'll listen to some crazy shit to get him going. If he's too hyped up, he'll listen to some calm. And that's kind of how I was. I would base it off how I felt in that moment, that day, and the hour before. And then I would adjust my window of success. Oh, 100%. So you've played in five different organizations, correct? In in affiliate ball? Uh, yeah, something like that. It's Cardinals, Royals, Orioles, Dodgers. Yeah, five. So without, you don't have to obviously name specifics, right? Because I think every, every organization does specific things differently, but when it comes to, you know, you as a person, you know, is there a difference when it comes to how they handle you and your personality? And, and I think other, other guys' personalities in the, in the clubhouse, because I think that's a bigger part of player development than people understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that culture is massive in any business, in any, um, entity that has a lot of people working towards the same goal so like if the culture is like a yankees culture for example versus a dodgers culture is a very differently structured culture and the rules are it's still baseball but the rules are different and catered and something small as shaving your uh, face that people can see the fans can notice that rule you know you can see that yankees players have clean shaven faces um I think each person's personality can mold differently and better into a culture, but I, I don't think it's the team's job necessarily to have to change their way or culture to accommodate a team of 25 guys. It's absolutely up to the player to assimilate into what that team is trying to put out and have a culture going. So each one has a different one. I think some guys draft super well, some guys develop really well. Uh, some organizations, really take good care of their players and some definitely just take care of their players, but they're really focused on the major league side uh, versus the minor league side. So it shifts and uh, there's give and take to both, but for the most part, you need to get into there, find out what that culture is that they're asking for and, and assimilate to it because it's not going to be that much different across the board. If you're good, if you're good on the Yankees, you're going to be good on the Royals. And if you were, Good on the Royals, you're going to be good on the Cardinals. And if you were shitty on the Cardinals, you're going to be shitty on the freaking Diamondbacks too. And I'd say I even noticed yeah. when the different managers in New Hampshire, um, everyone had a kind of a different clubhouse vibe to it too. Uh, so I think even within an organization and at the, at the minor league level, you're still going to – you get promoted, right? Say you go from Norfolk to Baltimore, you feel a difference in vibe just based on the manager. Um, you know, or yeah. – 
Parker had a, did a great job of having a loose culture, a loose clubhouse that's about their business, but he treats you like a man. He's not going to yell at you unless you're acting like a fool. And for the most part, you show up and you get your business done. Schneider was one of my favorite managers that could ever have. And that's why he had such a quick rise to the major leagues. I think he was a prospect. I mean, I think he beat, he beat me to the big leagues and I was the number one prospect at the time for one year. <laughs> I think Schneid's John Schneider had a lot of buy-in with his guys too. I think because of yeah. the way he led. And I think that is important. If you're going to do one thing as a manager, I feel like it's garnering that buy-in. And I think that's what I'm gathering from you as well. Who's played for different managers of different styles. Is there one way that you've seen someone, you know, succeed at getting buy-in when they might not have yeah. otherwise gotten it? Yeah, like Buck Britton, for example, is a really good manager that gets people to buy in. And it's genuinely just because of enthusiasm and and you can tell that he's there for you as a player. And that's that's it, I think. Like you he can make a shit decision and everyone has his back because he we know that he put it in and the thought process in and the work in to uh, be ready for that decision. And, and, and we're all human and not everyone makes perfect decisions. So like, it's different if a manager is just like, yeah, whatever, whatever junior or like, you know, don't even know the kids, half the kids names. And it's like, you know, you can tell he like drinks a little bit. You're like, yeah, this guy's going to blow it to that tonight. And we're all pissed about it. You know, it trickles down to the guys. It trickles down to, you know, their attitude and how much they're coming down. in. Right. It trickles down and you, it just probably, it probably doesn't do so well with the up tops either. Cause again, it's a culture of that org. You want everyone to buy into that culture. So you can have like a well-oiled machine, like shooting for the world series, you know, hundred percent. You, you spend a little time in what many people regard to be the best organization in baseball with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So yeah, a little homecoming for you. How was that? How was the news getting that you were, that you were being taken on by the Dodgers? How was that feeling? It was a glorious two and a half weeks. I, uh, and luckily I got to play in the bigs the whole time I was there. I, it was great. I got DFA'd by the Orioles. I had done a really good job for about three or four innings, small little sample size. And then Nelson Cruz took me ya ya in the eighth inning. Uh, we lost the game to the Rays. I got DFA'd that night. Probably was already being DFA'd regardless of the homer, but you know, it's, and that's a lot of guys when it's, it's so hard because you don't even realize how quick your chance seems. Or you may do well and still get DFA'd. You may do shitty and stay. It's 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 a business, and these GMs are making tough ass decisions um, and making uh, moves. So I get DFA'd, and I'm like, damn it, you know, whatever. I'm gonna, I'll be back. And I was thinking I was gonna go to Triple A. I was thinking I was gonna clear. So I was like, I'm just gonna do whatever it takes to get back to the league. You know, no big deal. Circumstances don't matter. I'm about to be back. And. Uh, and then they call and they say, yo, uh, you get to go to L.A. I'm like, no way, Angels? They're like, no, nah, nah, the Dodgers got, are picking you up. And um, you're meeting them in Philly. So I took like a 30-minute train ride over, a luxurious Amtrak ride. It really was. It was in fancy as hell. Pulled up to Philly. And I think I pitched that night. I think I threw in the ninth inning. I believe um, you did. It was right away. Yeah. And I threw like 97 and, and had a good inning. So I was like, this is my chance. Like, this is my chance to show the Dodgers that they need me forever. <laughs> like, that's what I was thinking. Put the 71 um, up in the, up in the, uh, up in the rafters, you know. That's... Literally. 
this number retired. I'll see this in seven years over there. Um, and I really, and I was really trying to convince them to keep me forever, like genuinely. Um, but little did I know, like, you know, I was just there for Joe Kelly's COVID. And that wasn't so, disclosed to you that they just wanted to get, have you go out there and pitch. Right. It's not disclosed to you. I, you know what? That's probably why their culture is, their culture is great. Cause I showed up and they're like, you're going to help us win the world series. Even though I bet you that coach knew I was leaving in two weeks. He talked to me like, you're going to help us win the World Series this year. Went over all my data, completely helped me, made me a better pitcher in those three weeks. Uh, so when he sent me back to the O's, I got DFA'd by them. The O's picked me up again. I was able to go back with a little bit of big league experience, like three more innings under my belt. And then I was able to get like 25 good-ass innings in and about two, three bad innings in. I did bad in Fenway because I got a little bit arrogant. You always got to stay in that. I talked about it earlier, the window of, of flow state, the window of success. I was a little bit out of the window on the hyped up side, and I was a little bit tasting myself like, nah, no one can hit this shit. And Duvall took me yard on a hung slider, I think like off the top of the green monster, um, and scored uh, Kike Hernandez off second base. And Kike got on lucky, like hit the ball, like literally hit the base or something like something bad. But uh, that's baseball. And it was amazing. That was like the, an incredible experience. Fenway is cool as hell. And the home plate felt like it was 10 feet away. Felt like I was just putting the ball into the glove. And the fans, I mean, they pack that place every night. It's 40. It's, it's almost 40,000 every night. And right. I remember the also the amount of Orioles fans that were there too. Oh, I also uh, had a personal posse of like 20 people there. So every game I had like, what every everywhere we played at there's pressure i was fortunate enough to be there with with my family and they were just ecstatic to see you having come from double a and then yeah. you know grinding your way up and then here you are at fenway where where in the baltimore orange and black is is pretty unbelievable so rewinding a little bit how was it returning we glossed over it a little bit how is it returning to baltimore you know when you walk through those clubhouse stores you're like hey, it's me again yeah it was awesome it was like uh it was really cool because I had gone and done well with another team, not a long time. Like it was literally like two weeks, like I said, three innings, but um, I had, I think just gained a little more ground as a major league pitcher. So I can come back with um, a little bit of knowledge. They had just come off a world series, the Dodgers. So I think that there was some knowledge to share a little bit with the Orioles clubhouse, a little bit about mentality and stuff, but they did a freaking great job last year. First, like that, and I'm just thinking, like the year after that, they were so they did such a good job with their players. But they got some dogs like Austin Hayes and stuff. But to come back and be part of these dudes uh, with Dylan Tate is was my guy in the bullpen. Hayes is a beast. Ramon Urias, some of these guys, I was just welcomed back. You know, it was great. It was like I never left, and they were like, "Yo, welcome back, dog." Like, what was it like with the Dodgers? I was like, it was sick as hell. You know, we're drinking freaking, you know, we're shopping at Whole Foods instead of, you know, pay less. And, uh, <laughs> and that's it. So it was it was great. It's not that big of a difference because it's still a major league clubhouse. You know, the key is being a good guy. If you're a good guy, you know, people are happy to see you. Seems like a common theme throughout, you know, Pro Bowl. Be a good guy. I think a, a lot of the rest, a lot of the rest will come will come good for throughout you. Life, at, throughout life. That's why we're still friends. That's why I did this video with you because you were a good kid then. You're a good guy now. You know. I appreciate you, Connor. See, and that's the thing too. I remember the fans took to you to you very well. 
So as far as 2024 wrapping up, what are you looking forward to in 2024 in just general? So obviously you have your pitching, but you have a lot of other ventures you're interested in too. As I mentioned in the intro, what are you looking yeah. forward to in this new year? I got a couple things cooking. I'm writing a couple episodes for this show that we got going on down here with my older brother. He's a captain of a ship. So we might be, uh, we might be doing a little television series with that. Um, I probably won't be on it. I'm just going to be writing it. Um, that's okay. We'll see though. They want me to be in it, but I don't want to, I want to just be on the outskirts of that, that I'm, I was considering retirement for a little bit because I have, I am a multifaceted person. I can do other things other than baseball, but it is, it's not my time yet. I'm only 28 and I can still throw real hard. So, um, I'm actually just getting, you still get better. Like I actually am still getting better at pitching. So I, I got to continue it. I don't have an organization signing me from, for now I'm going to be going back to Mexico until further notice. Um, but uh, I have a good feeling that I'll be in spring training somewhere with some team. So we'll see. Breaking what... news on the podcast. There is a good chance. And I'm going to get this out there before anyone else, you know, tweets it or anything. The fact is that this is on the first podcast ever and we're leaking some news. So I, I like it. I'll take it. Um, Connor, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. I'm excited to see what you do in 2024. And I know we all are too. So thank you very much. Of course, Matt. Great to see you, Doug. Special thank you to Connor Green for joining me for the first episode of the Show and Go podcast. My name is Matt Provo. We'll talk again next week.